You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. So good to see you all today. A few more than it's been in a couple of years. That is awesome. We pray that only continues and grows and praying that you'll be excited about that as well. Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, a lot to get through today and quite a passage today as well. Eager to do that with you and asking for the Lord's help again as we do that as well. Romans chapter 7, Lord willing, we're finishing the end of Romans 7 as we prepare for, again, going into Romans 8. That's going to take us to early Easter. Again, that's all under the category of Lord willing. So let's start with this today. One of the great paradoxes of the Christian life. This is our thesis for today. This is our propositional statement. This is the big idea. One of the great paradoxes of the Christian life is this. The more you grow in Christ, the more you are aware of your own sinfulness. The more you grow in Christ, the more you are aware of your own sinfulness. Now that seems counterintuitive, and yet biblically today we'll see it is so true. Let's try to unpack it this way. Consider the the calloused heart. The calloused heart is a heart that is uh, insensitive. It has no feeling. It's been hardened over. There's a sense of stone to the calloused heart. So it has no conscience either. It cannot feel what God wants the calloused heart to feel. Contrast that with the heart that is made alive in Jesus Christ. So the heart that is made new, the heart that is a heart of flesh, the heart that has become a new creation. This is a heart now that is growing. It has been enlarged. It is softened by the Holy Spirit. And again, it is alive to the things of God, very sensitive to good and evil, very sensitive to the moving of the Holy Spirit. The heart that is alive in Jesus Christ, it is sensitive to its surroundings. It is sensitive to what's healthy and what's not. Listen, it's sensitive to its enemies and that which opposes it. So therefore, the more mature you are in Christ, the more your sensitivity is to sinfulness. Now here's the difficult truth. For all maturing Christians, and I stress that, that's our text today, for those who are maturing in Christ, you've grown in Christ, for all maturing Christians, here's what you understand, your greatest enemy does not lie outside of you. Your greatest enemy does not surround you as external to you. What you know as you grow in Christ, theologically and biblically speaking, your single most powerful potent enemy actually lies within you. Hence our sermon title today, The Enemy Within. This incredible text is detailing the agony of the Apostle Paul describing his greatest battle, which is in within him. So just to whet your appetite further, here's a great quote from Alexander McLaren here, okay? It says this, it just reinforces our thesis today. The sign of growing perfection is the growing consciousness of imperfection. That's so interesting, yet this is true. One of the signs of your growing into the image of Christ, your growing perfection, is you're more conscious of your imperfection. The more you become like Christ, the more you find out your unlikeness to him. 
Fascinating. Think about that. Chew on that for a second again. This is where we go today, again, really in a sentence. This is the exact battle that the Apostle Paul details for us today. And by the way, as we start entering this text, I'm so thankful for Paul's honesty. I'm so thankful the Holy Spirit has put this passage before us today. Really, in some sense, we become, I love saying this in our church too, we become encouraged by Paul's discouragement, right? Paul's agonizing this text and we look at it and we're like, oh, not, not just me, not just me. And I love to encourage you with my discouragement from time to time. More often I care to admit it probably too, right? That's part of what happens is, is we encourage each other at times with our discouragement in the sense of our battle so we realize we're not alone in the struggle. We're not alone in the fight of this sinful flesh that lives within us. We're not alone in the desire to see more of Christ, but the agony, the conflict, the war that rages within us. And that's what this text does for us today. It's pretty amazing. So let me read it for us, and then we will jump in and seeking clarity from the Lord. So Romans 7, verse 14. And this just highlights what we have to bring Bibles to church today. It's so good. Verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual. Why is the law spiritual? Because God wrote the law. So the law is from the Holy Spirit. So there, of course, it's spiritual. But I am of the flesh, right? That's his sinful nature. He feels as though he's sold under sin because the flesh just won't relent, not until Christ comes. Verse 15, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good because it's the law that exposes my sinfulness. So therefore, the law is good. Now, verse 17. So no longer I who do it. Notice the distinction between I, but sin, sinful nature that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is, he, he clarifies here, that is in my flesh, sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability in myself to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, notice, but my sinful flesh, my sinful nature that dwells within me. He's so frustrated with this, right? Verse 21, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil is crouching at the door. Evil's always ready to pounce. It lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God. I so badly want to obey the law of God fully in my inner being, in my soul and heart. Verse 22, or 23. But I see in my members another law, another principle, waging war against the law, the principle of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. I'm so frustrated. I'm so in agony. We climaxes of verse 24. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me once and for all from this body of death, this sinful nature? I'm so sick of it is what he's saying. Verse 25, here's the answer. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And all God's people said, amen, amen. But he doesn't end there in this chapter. He says, so then, I myself serve the law of God. My mind so badly want to, uh, in my conscience, serve what is right and true and holy. But this darn flesh, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Man, like what a passage this is, what a battle this is, what conflict. And listen, 
What complication also within this text? We're going to seek to get some clarity. And by the way, this passage we just read, uh, some people have done like a six-part series on this very passage or three-part series. We don't have the ability to do that. Maybe someday in the future we will do that. We're doing an overview in a sense, but we're excited to get the main point as we've already explained and see how God will teach us and encourage us here as well. So we jump in. Point number one is this. Oh, the conflict of sin within me. Oh, the conflict of sin within me. Anyone who's alive in Jesus Christ resonates, even that statement right there. It's good to know that our passage is one of significant debate. See, what do you mean by that? Well, in terms of who exactly is Paul referring to in this text? For instance, Is he referring to himself as a previous unbeliever, unregenerate in his pre-conversion days? Is he referring to himself at all? Is he referring to himself as a Christian, as a regenerate, born-again, alive person in Christ? Or as some even suggest, is he referring to an individual who's between the two? meaning someone who is not saved but is in the process of becoming saved in Christ. So we're going to land enthusiastically today as Paul is seeing himself and referring to himself in the present tense, in the first person singular, again, more than 40 times using the word I here, as a mature, I start to say, a mature believer in Jesus Christ. And as we land on that position, we are in agreement with the likes of powerful theologians going back as far as Augustine, um, the Reformers, like all the Reformers, the Puritans, John Calvin, John Owen, John Newton, modern-day giants such as John Murray, J.F. Packer, F.S. Bruce, John MacArthur, John Piper, basically anyone who's a theologian named John, all right? So we align with them, and we're excited to do so as well. So what is the, as we get it, what is the argument, textually speaking, that is confirming to us that Paul is referring to himself as a believer in Jesus Christ. Okay, so here's what the text says. This is taken from the ESV Study Bible. I want us to see this. Textually speaking, how do we arrive at this conclusion? Seven reasons. Number one, Paul shifts from earlier verses in Romans 7 from the past tense to the present tense now. He's in the present. Not who I was, who I am. Again, he uses first person singular 40 times within this section, something like that. That's amazing. Number two, he speaks of his desire to intensely keep God's law in verse 21. Unbelievers do not desire to intensely keep God's law. They don't care. They could care, couldn't care less. Number three, there's a clear distinction, verse 18 and elsewhere, between I, new nature, and flesh, old nature. Number four, there's a clear statement, I delight in God's law, verse 22, my inner being. Unbelievers do not delight in the law of God. Uh, Number five, there's a deliverance from the sinful body in the future. Thanks be to God. In Romans 8, all over the place too, there's such a desire, a longing, a, a future deliverance that is coming once and for all from his sinful nature and flesh. Number six, the tension between the good and the evil in the concluding statement. He's, he's wrestling with the deep desire to serve the law of God in his mind, but this darn sinful nature that gets in the way. 
away again until Christ returns or he meets Christ face to face. And then number seven, there's a clear teaching in chapter six through eight that Christians are righteous. This is so clear, chapter six, seven. Christians are righteous, but we are not yet perfected. That is to come again in our full redemption when we meet Jesus Christ in our glorification, okay? On top of those reasons, textually speaking, every growing believer in Jesus Christ reads Romans 7, 14 to 25 and says, yeah, I get it. I relate. I mean, as we read that now, do you relate to that? Like, you should. You should have a sense of agony and conflict and struggle of the battle of good and evil you feel within you on a daily basis. You read this passage, you should be immensely encouraged, again, because you are not alone. But this is the paradox, isn't it? The more we grow in Christ, the more we are sensitive to the conflict of sin within us. Again, take a look. So much here, but take a look again at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions. I, I can't get out of this completely, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. It drives me nuts. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good, again, because the law shows me that I am a, a sinner, shows me the path I need to take, though it can't save me. Verse 17, so now it is no longer I who do it, but my sinful nature that dwells within me. Let's just break those down a little bit here. So God's law is holy. That's verse 14. Paul knows that he is not holy. He knows he still struggles with sin, as each of us do. So he feels that he cannot entirely defeat his sin, and it puts him in agony. That's what's happening there in verse 14. And then verse 15, he's stressing the brutal conflict that he feels. He's like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? How come I can't get free from this? So notice this too, church. Sin does not reign in him, but sin survives in him. And that's for all of us in Christ. Sin no longer reigns in us, but sin survives in us until the coming of Jesus Christ. So he feels kind of like he's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, right? You relate to that? And do you feel that way too? I do, man. Like some days you're just rocking it for Jesus Christ, and the next day you wake up in this bombardment of sinful thoughts and temptation, and the darkness overcomes you. Like, what in the world is happening? How come every day can't be like yesterday? And then you wake up in the sin that haunts you. Again, this is what Paul is saying here. In verse 16, the law is good because the law confirms his suspicion. The law confirms his sinfulness. And that's why the law is good because the law exposes his sin, but the law cannot defeat his sin. The law just shows him that he is sinful. And the verse 17, basically, oh, how wicked the sinful flesh is. It just hangs on. It won't give up. It won't let go. It sits there and tries to survive in my heart. And he hates his sin. His sin haunts him. He can't stand it. This is what he's articulating in these verses. So it's so interesting for us. Believers are justified, okay, in Christ. And the process, so justification, 
the penalty, the sentence of guilt is removed. It's a legal term before God. We are innocent. But now starts the process of becoming more like Jesus. Sanctification, right? So we know we are growing in sanctification, but part of that process is you realize how far you still have to go. It's kind of like you're standing at the base of Mount Everest and you look up, like, what's it, six miles? And you're like, oh. right? Like, the call to holiness, you're standing at the base of Mount Everest and you look up and you're just like, that's so far to go. And that's Jesus Christ, you know, says, be holy for I am holy. And God says that within his word. We'll never attain perfection and holiness this side of heaven. We are justified, we're innocent, and yet we're growing in Christ. But the mountain is so high and so intimidating. And in ourselves, we're done. This is what Paul is relating to. I'll never achieve the summit of perfection. I can't. That's not going to happen as long as my sinful flesh is within me and my sinful flesh will be in me again until full redemption, completion, and the return of Jesus Christ or I die and go to be with him. So this is why the New Testament cries out over and over again. The authors are longing for the redemption of Christ. Romans chapter 8, can't wait to get there. Romans chapter 8, literally Paul says, we groan for our redemption. We're groaning inside. We long to be set free once and for all. That's Romans 7 too. I hate my sin. And one day it'll be gone forever. But not until then. This is what Paul is articulating in so many different ways. Another huge part, how we frame Romans 7, our passage here today, is, is found in a theological term, the already and the not yet. If you don't know those terms, you have to know those terms. This is very, very important. The understanding that in Christ we live in the already, but the not yet, again, is still to come. What do we mean by that? We are, if we're saved, if we're saved in Christ, we are redeemed in Christ, yet we still fight our sinful nature. So there's the already redeemed in Christ, but the not yet is we're not yet delivered from sin once and for all. We are saved in Christ already, yet we're not complete. That's the not yet. When it comes to sin, justification deals with the penalty of sin. Sanctification is dealing increasingly with the power of sin, but it's glorification that will once and for all deal with the very presence of sin. And what a day that will be. This is what Paul is longing for. We've been given victory in Christ, yet we are still at war within ourselves. We have tasted salvation, the already, and yet our full redemption is still to come, the not yet. So see what's happening with Paul? There's a legitimate anguish of soul. There's an anguish in his soul. Why? He's tasted the appetizer, but he longs for the whole meal. He is so hungry. When will I be able to be delivered from this body of death? I so want to be released. The sin that haunts me, I can't stand it. I just can't imagine the day where it is gone forever. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to the conflict? And the, now listen to this. An unbeliever cannot relate to what we just said. The unbeliever doesn't struggle with conflict of sin within. They don't even think about it. The unbeliever doesn't long for the law of God to be perfected in his heart. The unbeliever would never talk like this. It's the unbeliever that has tasted, again, a bit of heaven and then imagines and dreams and prays and groans 
for the day when all and every sin is removed from their souls and they're in perfection with Jesus Christ. We're living on one level, but we see there's a whole nother level to come and we're just so anticipating that moment. But in the meantime, there's anguish. In the meantime, there's just stress as you look within. In the meantime, there's just a massive longing to be set free once and for all from all sin. See, because Paul's so mature in Christ, this is why he feels this way. The more you grow in Christ, the more you are sensitive to your own sinfulness. You long for redemption. So there's been some rumors about me in the past, at the end of the movie Frozen, I shed some tears. There's some rumors. People spread some rumors like this, whatever, and stuff like that. So, so I remember sitting with my girls a few years ago, I guess a number of years ago now, some of the girls watching the movie, and maybe at the end of the movie, maybe there was a little moistening that happened at some point. Say, well, why, why would that ever happen, Rob? What's wrong with you? So here's, here's what's wrong with me. Whenever I see portrayed in some kind of you know, significant, clear way, the idea of perfection, the idea of, of all wrongs being made right, it can happen in movies or books, whatever it is, and it's presented, and it's usually powerfully presented, and all justice is fully served. See, see, everything within me, the Holy Spirit within me, is everything I long for. It's the groaning. It's the longing for redemption, the, the, the defeat of sin forever. And I see these pictures, and it's a made-up story, but here's what I One day, the Holy Spirit, one day this is gonna happen. One day, sin is dealt with forever and you literally live in a world of perfection in the glory of Jesus Christ and everything within me as I'm watching this, yes, 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 this is what I made for. This is what I long for and you're so desirous for that day you can't help it and tears form in your eyes because you know it's coming soon. But in the meantime, there's agony, agony, but longing, longing for that day. And as a mature believer, you feel this more intensely as you go along because you're so sick of your greatest enemy within that gets in the way of all that is perfectly good. Hence the conflict, hence the battle, hence the fight, hence the desire. This is what Paul is articulating for us. So this is why then he says in verses 18, to 20, take a look there. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, clarification, that is in my flesh, sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability in myself to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do not do what I want, it's no longer I who do a clarification, but it's the sin that dwells within me. Again, feel the conflict here. Feel the desire for good, feel the frustration over sin, feel the longing for deliverance. Notice in verse 16 too, Paul says, I agree with the law that it is good. Why would he say that? Because the law cannot save us, but the law is used to convict us and reveal our sin to us and to point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. See the word of God, the law of God is so good. How many, how many of us, some of the greatest moments of our lives have happened in this very room? Some of the greatest moments of our lives because the word of God, if you take old covenant, new covenant together now, the law of God, the word of God, it is the law of God combined pointing to the son of God by the spirit of God that transforms us into the image of the son of God. So some of the greatest moments of my life 
and of your lives have happened in this very room. This room is not special. It's the people in the room alive in Jesus Christ. And the Lord meets us together. And many of us have been saved, literally brought from death to life in this very room under the word of God used to show us the gospel, point us to Jesus Christ. There's nothing greater, nothing more important, nothing more beautiful. How many of us have shed tears of brokenness, cried out for mercy, repented of sin, and felt the presence of God so near and his love envelop us again? That is because we're convicted of sin and pointed to Jesus Christ again from the greatest moment of our lives. This is what the Lord does. A longing for holiness, a hatred for our sinfulness. May that never stop. That's why gathering for church in this way is so awesome and so important and so beautiful. This is why sin then is so destructive. Because sin puts burden, sin brings misery. Sin ruins our relationship again with Christ. Sin uh, corrupts our relationships with others. Sin steals our joy. Sin gets in the way and, and idolatry sets in. Sin ruins everything. I hate sin so much. I hate sin. During COVID, I, um, I, brought, uh, I bought a, um, a weighted vest. It's like 30 pound weighted vest and you, why, why would you ever do that, Robbie? That's a good question. That's a good question. But I bought it, you know, you walk with it and it adds weight and it, it increases exercise. Right? You, you know, walk a couple kilometers, that thing on, by the end you're done and you're just like, man, I can't wait to get this thing off. Like, like what a burden. You just take it off and you're like, all of a sudden you just feel so light. And, you know, there are some benefits to a weighted vest in terms of exercise. There are no benefits to the weight and burden of sin. The weight and burden of sin that rests upon us, that brings misery, that just brings us down, trying to hurt us, trying to destroy us, and trying to kill us. Again, how, how important this is. In verse 18, as you see it there too, let's be so clear again. Our sinful nature stinks, okay? It just stinks. You want to make a note of that? I encourage you to do so. Our sinful nature stinks. It is rotten to the core. It just burdens us and places us down and under this weight that we so long to get out from under. And just while we're here, let's just do a little bit of application here. When it comes to sin and what's happening here within our text, when it comes to sin in our lives, this is so important for our day too. Number one, we have to define it. You have to define it out by the culture. You have to define what sin is by God's word because sin puts that burden on us. It just hurts us and ruins us. Paul's so longing again to get out from under this. You have to define what sin is by God's word. You have to despise it. So one of the ways you know you're growing in Christ, like Paul here in Romans 7, you hate your sin. Do you hate your sin? Or you're like, ah, my sin, I don't, you know, I'm not really happy about it, but it, it could be worse. One of the ways we know we're growing in Christ is abhor what is evil, love what is good. Do you hate your sin? Or are you kind of playing with your sin? Are you like, oh, it's a little toy, it's a little kind of thing, nestle up like the play. That's a bad sign. That's a bad sign. That's immaturity. That's not Christ-like. The more we hate our sin, that's a sign that we are growing in the Lord Jesus. So despise it, how by God's grace, when the gospel comes in, and in and, and contrast to what Christ has done for us, and then destroy, Romans 8 is gonna show this to us, destroy it by God's spirit, only by God's spirit. But here's the thing, you define sin by God's word, you despise it, you hate it, and you get victory over certain sins, but sin always reloads. And that's what Paul's agonizing about. It's like in those movies where there's like good guys and they're fighting these evil, awful, gross, kind of alien type creatures and they shoot them or they destroy them, but they always seem to regenerate. There's always, they come back again. They revive themselves, they heal whatever, and they always come back. It will never get rid of these enemies. 
I thought of um, that scene in uh, Return of the King from the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and it's King uh, Theoden. I always remember kind of watching this in the final battle, I think it's called, uh, for Minas Tirith, what it's called, and they're there, and just the onslaught of the enemies. And King Theoden's there on the, on the flat ground and just you know, battling and sorting all that stuff, and one, again, a wave of enemy, and all of a sudden all the elephants come in, and his look of expression is like, oh, man, what's going on? And then at the end there, he's fought and killed so many people. There he is, fighting so bravely and courageously. And then that, that, that witch, that awful witch guy starts coming in, flying on that awful dragon looking thing, whatever. And the look on Theoden's face is this, okay? This is the look on his face. He's just like, he's like, you got to be kidding me, right? It's just like, will this ever stop? I remember looking at it and said, I, I resonate. I get a lot of spiritual metaphors from all sorts of different places, okay? So yeah. So I was just like, I was like, but that's what it's like with our sinful nature. You slay one dragon and another one comes. You defeat one enemy and another one comes. And listen, it's gonna be that way until glory. And that's what Paul is saying. But it's like, I resonate with Theoden's face right there. He's like, come on. Like, I resonate deeply with that to say again, when will this end? So this coming week is my 25th birthday. Why are you? you, I I don't know why you're laughing or clapping. Okay, so clarify, 25th birthday in Christ. Okay, so I was, I was born again. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. For me, it was March 9th, 97, right? But listen, listen, now, why do I bring that up? Because it's so interesting, 25 years in Christ, and I say this honestly, I've never felt more of the conflict of sin within my life than right now. Last couple years, last season, just like, again, like, there are so many times, church, I'm just be transparent with you, right? Like, just, you're sitting there, and you're, and you're supposed to be growing in Christ, and, and you feel like you're going backwards sometimes, why all of a sudden, like when you first get saved, like the obvious things to get rid of are easy, you know? Stop doing this externally. Stop doing this in relationships. Stop, you know, using the Lord's name, whatever. It's just, it's obvious. But all of a sudden, you start growing in Christ and the depth and the layers and the sensitivity and the awareness of sin, it's appalling. What the enemy does, the enemy comes in and says, see how much you suck, Simons? Look at you. You call yourself a pastor? The accusations, you think you could do any, and start saying, you need to, you need to quit, you need to this, you need to, you stink. And it's tempting to say, I do. Wretched man that I am. I read Romans 7 right now, and I'm so encouraged. Like, I'm so, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one who feels this way. The apostle Paul and his immensity of spiritual character and weight. And here he is again at this time and detailing the battle and the conflict and the war that he feels. That's also so interesting. If you take a look at how Paul progressively viewed himself through his epistles, take a look at this. So Corinthians written in AD 53, Paul refers to himself as the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. Then in AD 60, he writes Ephesians, and there he says, I'm the very least of all the saints. The very least of all the saints. And then in AD 62 to 65, 1 Timothy, one of the last letters he wrote before his death, here's what he says about himself. Christ came in the world to save sinners of who I not was, I am. Present tense, I am the chief of sinners. You're like, wait, what? Like, Like he starts off, it gets worse as he grows in Christ. You know what's so interesting to me too? What a lot of Christians do? They start here, I'm the worst when they get saved, 
and they go in the other direction, and they come to the point, God was pretty smart to save me. I would have saved me too. I'm pretty awesome. People do that, though. You know that's true. It's like you start off by saying, oh, I'm such a wretched sinner, amazing grace. We say the wretch like me. But all of a sudden, knowledge puffs up. All of a sudden, pride sets in, and you start strutting your stuff. Paul, the longer Paul went through this, the more devastated he saw himself in relation to the holiness of God and the sinfulness that dwelt within. Just chew on that for a few moments. Are you tempted to walk along saying, yeah, God, you're smart to save me because I'm killing it. You're an idiot. That's what the Bible would say. God, help us. God, forgive us. God, save us from this sense of thinking that somehow, right, the more we grow in Christ, the more we are sensitive to our sinfulness. All oh, the conflict that rages within, number two. All oh, the war that rages within me. Very similar because that's what the Bible keeps telling us. Look at verse 21 now. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Remember that verse from Genesis 4-7, that sin is crouching at your door, it's desirous for you. You must master it. Well, this is so, what a, what a great parallel verse, eh? Evil is lying close at hand when I want to see righteousness. Um, an unbeliever doesn't think this way. An unbeliever doesn't think in verse 22 either. For I delight in the law of God in my very inner being. Unbelievers never, ever think that. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells within my members. So, hey, loved ones, understand this. Every time we sin, in that sense, we've, we've, we've been found captive to sin. Every time we sin. Whenever we give in to sin, we become captive to that sin. The sins that we struggle with this week, in a sense, we become captives to that sin. He can't take this anymore, verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me once and from all from this body of death? Man, what a passage, what a verse. How amazing. Question, why is leprosy so devastating? Leprosy is so devastating because you lose the feeling of pain. Your nerves are shot, they cease to work. And why is that so devastating? Because the greatest protection of the human body is the sense of pain. Sin has the same effect. Sin numbs our souls. Sin steadily makes our heart callous. Sin causes us to lose feeling, lose feeling and sensitivity towards the things of the Holy Spirit. Sin deafens our conviction of the Holy Spirit. Sin causes us to lose our sensitivity again to the righteous things of the Lord that he wants to do within our lives. So here in this passage, notice here, Paul is hypersensitive to his failure. Notice that? He is hypersensitive to his sinful flesh. Why? Why? It's because he's grown so much in Christ. As J.A. Packer says, the slightest tinge of sin wreaks havoc on his heart. Is that true with you and me? See, he's so growing in Christ. He's so, in a sense, healthy in Christ that the slightest tinge of sin just wrecks him. It wreaks havoc in his heart. There's such a longing for holiness. There's such a low tolerance for unrighteousness 
that the little bit of sin that comes in just, just, just devastates him and appalls him. Do you see why then, then, brokenness and contrition are strong signs of maturity in Christ? Do you see that? Right? I mean, think about it. The people who are growing in Christ, you are, you are broken and contrite in the presence of God and the holiness of God and the sinfulness of self. And you are broken and you cry out for mercy because you see his perfection and you see your imperfection. So like Psalm 51, David's experience, again, against you and you only have I sinned, O God, and done what is evil in your sight. The sacrifice of God or a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. Brokenness is a sign of maturity. You know, no coincidence that all the greatest revivals in the history of the church have begun with a massive sense of the holiness of God and a horror at the sinfulness of man. Where people literally crying out for mercy, begging God for salvation because they see how wretched we are in light of the holiness of our awesome God. In a sense, this is Paul too. Verse 21, he wants to do what's right. Evil lies very close at hand. Verse 22, he delights in the law of God in his very inner being. He's so sensitive to the battle. Verse 23, he sees the war that is raging. His sinful nature, his sinful nature just won't give up. It doesn't rain in him, but it survives. And it drives him crazy. Our sinful nature, it's like those trick birthday candles. You blow them out, they always seem to come back. You're just like, you blow it out. And it always seems to come back. John Newton described, he had a lot to say about indwelling sin. He says he went to a carnival and he saw a tame lion, a tame lion. But it's interesting, the lion was in a cage though. So not so tame after all. Because it has this vicious animal instinct at any point to pounce and attack. That's our sinful nature. Our sinful nature promises to be our friend, but then the next day it turns around and grabs us by the throat and stabs us in the back. That's our sinful nature just can't fully get rid of it this side of heaven. So after all this, in Paul's agony, his anguish, he exclaims in verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The sanctification that is growing. It's so interesting, eh? At conversion, when we're saved, we have no idea how deep our sin really goes. Think about that. When you're first saved, again, all the obvious things. Stop getting drunk. Your relationships are impure. Stop using the Lord's name in vain. Right? We talked about this, right? But then all of a sudden you grow in Christ and the layers and the layers and the layers and the layers and you're like, I had no idea how deep the evil was within my very own heart. So many of us would echo Paul here, wretched man that I am, wretched woman that I am. The word wretched carries exhaustion. There's a sense of beaten down, sin relentlessly attacking his heart from within. The greater the view of holiness, the more sensitive we are to our vileness. Isaiah 6, Isaiah 6, Isaiah, the vision of God's holiness in the temple. He sees the holiness of God, and the first thing he says is, cursed is me, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. 
Peter in the boat, Luke chapter five, and the catch of fish come in after they caught nothing. And in some moment, he sees Jesus as the son of God in holiness. And the only thing Peter can do is fall to his knees and declare, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. The view of God's holiness, the utter aware of our vileness and sinfulness. Interesting though, it's one of the greatest signs of God's presence. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He says, it is when we notice the dirt that God is most present in us. It is the very sign of his presence. Isn't that, again, counterintuitive. The greatest work that God does in us is when we see the sin that haunts us because then all of a sudden we realize our need for Jesus Christ the need for repentance, the need for cleansing, the hunger, the desperation, the prayers that cry out. Paul says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Will this sinful nature, oh, he longs, he longs for the day when the sinful nature will be done once and for all. And every mature believer in Jesus Christ agrees. They agree. You feel it too. You think Paul's putting to words the feelings you've had for so long. And this is so encouraging to you in this sense. Notice, it's a cry of distress, not despair. That's key. He cries out in distress, but not despair. Because, after all, he knows where his hope lies. Point number three is this. Oh, the victory found in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Look at verse 25. Verse 25, he says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is Paul's hope. The battle is real. The war is real. But listen, in the end, victory is certain. But notice here, this is interesting. Notice, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. But it doesn't go right into Romans 8.1 there where it says there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There's this last phrase. Look at this last phrase at the end of verse 25. He says, so then I myself serve the law of God. I so want to serve the law of God in my conscience and my life and my mind. I want to pursue holiness. But man, this flesh keeps getting in the way. This flesh, this, this law, this principle of sin keeps bringing me down. See, the agony, remember this slide from a couple weeks ago, right? So before Christ, our old self, the field of death, in, our, in, our, in Christ, our new self, in the, in, in the field of life, born again, alive, we'll never return here again. We'll never go back to this place. We're alive in the Lord Jesus Christ under grace. Forgiven and just, we'll never cross the road again. But the darn sinful nature it will not relent. It continues. It doesn't rain in us. It just hassles us. It survives. It tries to lure us. It tries to hurt us. It tries to accuse us. The sinful nature will not leave us alone until full redemption and glory is seen. This is what Paul is saying. Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I am saved. I'm set free. I'm trying to serve the law of God. My mind so much wants as my new nature, but the old, darn, disgusting, vile old nature, sinful nature, it will not release me. It will not stop trying to harass me and hinder my walk with Jesus Christ. Wretched man that I am, longing to serve the law of God with my mind, but continue to battle in the law of sin in my flesh. 
And this becomes a great teaser for Romans 8 in the next few weeks. The power of victory explained in full redemption and even again growing in Christ over our sin through the Holy Spirit who's mentioned 20 times in Romans 8. Awesome. So here's Paul detailing his heart for us. Now I wonder, you listen to this message today, probably discouraged and encouraged, I'm hoping. I am, in one sense, right? And both can be good in the sense of, wow, I got issues. But that points us to Jesus Christ more and more to say we're not alone, we're not alone. We are all fighting this battle together, every single one of us. No one is exempt from this battle if you're alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. 